You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Hello again, this is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. We're going to do something a little different today. We are going to talk about our leather dyke horror roots, and this idea was uh, kind of Sarah's idea. Sarah is with me today. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And Sarah's been on the show twice already, so you're probably familiar with her. Um, She's my best friend, love her to death. And Sarah, can you just reintroduce us to who you are and what you're about? Uh, Sure. Well, I think Annie has described me as a lesbian, a thriller expert, was it? Yeah, you're a 90s (laughs) erotic thriller expert. Oh, love it. Perfect. <laughs> uh, definitely that. Uh, I'm a leather dyke who lives in Oakland. Um, and I am also, like Annie, completely obsessed with um, controversial films. And uh, the last two episodes we did together were on Basic Instinct and uh, Showgirls. And this episode, I had a lot of scheduling issues this month. Uh, October is crazy in the horror community, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are part of. And people just had a lot of scheduling issues. I had a lot of scheduling issues. I went to New Orleans to give a talk. And I've just been super busy this month. So this was kind of a last minute idea. And Sarah, this was really your idea to do more of like a roots episode and talk about a a few films at once. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk today about the horror movies that made us kinky and gay. I mean, listen, everybody loves a spectacular roundup. Yes, this is the Girls Guts Giallo Leather Dyke Halloween Spooktacular. <laughs> so perfect. It's so perfect. A couple of an- announcements. Uh, well, actually, just one. I'm going to be on a panel about LGBT representation in horror films on Monday at 7 p.m. in Brooklyn at Film Noir Cinema. And this is part of the Fear NYC Horror Film Festival. So if you're in Brooklyn, come check it out. Say hi if you listen to the podcast. I'd love to meet you. And now that that's out of the way, let's start talking about our roots. And I think the first thing I want to talk about is what is a leather dyke? Because I don't think that everybody listening to this episode or the show is in the leather scene so i wanted to ask you sarah what does that mean to you what does that identity mean mean to you as a person totally so i think of a leather dyke as a queer or dyke identified 
person who is in the BDSM scene or the kink scene in some fashion or another, I think people draw those distinctions for themselves in different ways. Um, and for me, having rather than saying just like I'm a kinky femme or something like that, to me, leather has a deep history to it. And so when I use the phrase leather dyke, I'm thinking of like calling to that history and sort of rooting myself in that history. And I think that's what makes it different than just adding like the adjective of being kinky. Absolutely. Yeah. Leather implies like a community and a history, a shared history. And it's much more than having it be something that's just that you do in the bedroom occasionally. It's uh, like a lifestyle choice. Totally. And And I don't think that like everyone who identifies as a leather dyke is necessarily super into leather you know there's been important critical discussions over the years of like the fact that owning leather is something that's not always accessible to folks i've known a few title holders even in within leather community who have spoken to this fact that it's like leather is really expensive wearing a full leather outfit is an expensive (laughs) undertaking yes so i feel like when someone says they're like in leather it's really more about that deep history than like whether you have like a full leather suit that you wear. Yeah, absolutely. And as we know, of course, there are people in the community who aren't necessarily even into leather. They're into rubber or uh, many other things. (laughs) So it's that's I think that's what is important to convey to people who are maybe not in the scene is that it's really about that history and that community. And for me, I have known from a very young age that I had a quote-unquote deviant sexuality. Like, not only was I queer, but I also liked things that were being portrayed in media to me as deviant or like the catalyst for a character's downfall. And I was always really drawn to those things. Yeah, we don't have that in common at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I watching films was my first introduction to SM or BDSM, whatever you want to say. And it was being portrayed pretty frequently as a negative thing. Totally. And still is, honestly. I, like you do when you're a queer person, you're sort of a media media scavenger and you repurpose things for your own purposes. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) a very, very intelligent thing I just said there. You take things and you make them your own. And especially in horror, which is such a subversive genre already, there's so many uh, SM subtexts in so many horror films and even the people that made them like Clive Barker we're going to talk about Hellraiser like clearly right pervert (laughs) 
clearly is actually into this stuff because he explores it again and again in film. So, you know, you can see the glimmers of that when you watch these movies. So speaking of Hellraiser, let's listen to the trailer. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. Okay. Were you able to hear that, by the way? No, but that's fine. I okay. Mean, I know what's going on. You know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk about Hellraiser, I did ask uh, people on Instagram and Twitter to other leather dykes, leather women, to send me some description of their kinky dyke roots in in horror film and i got an email from rachel who describes themselves as a fat fetish femme in california and hellraiser is one of their roots and this is what their email says I'm sure I'm not the only one referencing this movie, but Hellraiser, Hellraiser, Hellraiser. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I didn't get into horror until my mid-20s, but this movie is probably the first horror movie that I chose to watch, and I definitely chose it because of the leather aesthetic cover. Once a goth teen, always a goth teen. I had been having these big, confusing reactions to kinky content my whole life, but this movie really broke it open for me, and I started researching and experimenting with bondage and impact play maybe six months after seeing it for the first time. It yes. Felt, yes. <laughs> it felt like permission. I was like, once I stopped being afraid of watching and enjoying horror movies, I also stopped being afraid of myself and the things I wanted to enjoy. Now Hellraiser is like foreplay to me. I put it on when settling in with a new partner. Oh my god, I love that. I love that. And Chatterer can definitely get it. (laughs) Leather, bondage, blood, demons, daddy shit checks all my boxes. So thank you, Rachel, for sending that in. I have a sneaking suspicion that I know which Rachel this is. So hi, Rachel. You probably do. (laughs) Uh, this community is extremely small (laughs) so Hellraiser um, this movie is like it for leather people I feel like Um, when I first saw this in high school I was disgusted and intrigued by it which I think is very common for kinky people when being introduced to the SM world because it's excuse me Definitely. Yeah. It's forbidden and scary and tempting. What? When was the first time you saw Hellraiser? 
Oh, so I saw a lot of horror movies super young, which is probably a surprise to no one. Um, Same. I, I like probably saw it before the age of 10 and was like completely terrified of it. And, <laughs> <laughs> like very, very nightmares afraid of it. But then when I saw it, when I, I, I think I saw it again, late teens, and I was like genuinely confused as to why no one would just want to hang out with the Cenobites or like be a Cenobite. I was like, this is great. I don't get why it would be bad. Yes. I mean, the Cenobites are like a leather family. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also this theme here I noticed in all the movies we chose, Sarah, of that push and pull between not knowing if you want to get like fucked or if you want to get torn apart or tear someone apart oh yeah (laughs) yes and kink really is in some ways a death wish um i mean we've talked about this before like (laughs) and i say that in the most uh wholesome way possible (laughs) but (laughs) it's I mean, it's a way to sort of explore that human curiosity and of the of pain and the unknown in a really safe way. And yeah, I mean, I just I wanted to know if you felt like Hellraiser spoke to that at all. Yeah, I mean, that that makes me kind of think of the um Candyman episode that you and Nay did also and mm. thinking about that idea of the eternal and how like right like what was appealing to me in Hellraiser about the Cenobites was I was like well you get to hang out with these people forever slash be a Cenobite yes and it's like like what is being like what is being offered like what lies beyond is this like eternal fixation on like pain and pleasure and like why wouldn't someone who is kinky be really into that (laughs) absolutely and frank the person in the movie who you know if you haven't seen hellraiser go see it obviously but frank when he opens the box this is somebody who is constantly seeking thrills and constantly is basically like addicted to chaos I oh, mean, yeah. which I can identify with because I'm a recovering yeah. chaos addict. <laughs> and same, same. Right. And he's like constantly has to amp up, uh, you know, his life to to feel things, to experience things. And that leads him to opening the box, which calls forth the Cenobites who kidnap him and take him to a hell world and torture him. And that really resonated with me because it's that is kind of the logical conclusion of trying to capture some kind of excitement in this like hell world that we live in that is the earth <laughs> and <laughs> trying to to have that it, it, you know that it's the logical next step to start to explore pain and i think a lot of people go through that Absolutely. So the other movie I wanted us to talk about is mm-hmm. The Hunger. 
And I talked about I'm not going to play the trailer here because I've talked about this movie at length in it's a whole episode um, of like just a couple weeks ago. But this film is kind of like the the blueprint blueprint for my entire life and sexuality <laughs> because I always wanted to be of basically a vampire mommy like Miriam. Oh, absolutely. And I know you saw this movie when you were in your teens. Yeah, I saw this at a time when I was watching a lot of late night Bravo and questioning my sexuality. Um, and then I feel like, I mean, from a from the standpoint of someone who like, I mean, whatever, David Bowie is also a dyke, so it's obviously a dyke movie. But. Yes. <laughs> Right, like I think the like the bisexuality of the film was something that attracted me a lot at the time. The like triad attracted me a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea of these like eternal uh, relationships, these like, tortured eternal relationships, and like, um, you know, what is that? Uh, bringing someone bringing someone into your previously existing immortal dynamic, uh, very appealing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I I mean, The Hunger is all about, like, toxic codependent relationships. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it just keeps coming up with us. And, I, gee, I wonder why we were obsessed with this movie. No idea. No idea. No idea at all. And, I mean, it's very, like, the way that vampire covens in film work is very queer i mean there's it's this idea of chosen family and inducting people like-minded people into your like little coven and yeah and it's i mean there's also like the idea of immortality itself as a queer concept uh it it goes outside the normal expectations of human life. You're you're born, you have a childhood, then you get married, you have kids, and then you die. And it goes outside of that expectation. Like, what would life look like if you could live forever? And it it would look like something completely different. That that goes outside of these mainstream heterosexual ways of living. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's coming up again, this, I mean, it makes perfect sense from what we were talking about with Hellraiser too. this concept of the eternal, of, like, how interesting and alluring that is, and, like, how much you could work out within the time frame of being immortal. <laughs> could work out so much trauma, man. But you <laughs> you would also accumulate so much more trauma. Oh <laughs> So, uh, I mean, it, I mean, do I, want, do I want to be a Cenobite or do I want to be a vampire? It's really tough. Both. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the the Cenobites, man. I mean, yeah, like I'm seeing a theme here of just like chosen family, yeah. and and the the darkness and the the camaraderie that comes with that. Hmm. Secrets, secrets. So many secrets. And Miriam is like a vampire mommy because she gives 
immortality to people. So she births people in a way. And that, of course, as a as a mommy identified person mm-hmm. <laughs> is very appealing to me. <laughs> and I was actually kind of I was talking about this with Tina also. Oh, just like the idea of, you know, maybe I'll never lactate, like maybe I'll never give birth, but I can totally. feed people with my blood. Yeah, I think about that a lot in terms of thinking about leather dyke culture and mentorship, too. And, like, that that tension and that dance of, like, bringing someone into a world, but, like, being very conscious of, like, how you do that and um, what it means to do that and, like, what the responsibility of doing that is. There's, like, so much there. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, she's Miriam is kind of like a mentor figure uh, to Susan Sarandon in this movie. And we see those that dynamic play out again and again in a lot of lesbian vampire movies. So that's a really, really good point. Vampires are mentors. (laughs) Absolutely. So the next movie I wanted to talk about is Heavenly Creatures. And I'm just going to play the trailer really quickly. Oh, please do. They were two young girls living in a world of imagination. I'm going to the fourth world. It's an absolute paradise of music, art, and pure enjoyment. What they had was friendship. What a disgrace you are. Your mother is rather a miserable woman. What they needed was freedom. Do you like your mother? No. What they shared was a secret. Your daughter's in behaving in a rather disturbed manner. What's she done? I think I'm going crazy. I'm sure it's perfectly innocent. The crime that shocked the nation. People die. Every day, only the best people fight against all obstacles in pursuit of happiness. All thought it up. Aren't you clever? We're not going to be separated. (laughs) She's uncontrollable. Okay. Heavenly creatures. So, Sarah, this is a movie that you picked. Do you want to talk about it for a minute? Definitely. So I know this is technically, it's less a horror movie and more of a thriller or a psychological thriller there is some gore in it but not a ton um so this movie is from 1994 it was made by peter jackson before he made the lord of the rings movies it's set in uh new zealand and based on an actual murder by two young girls that happened in the 1950s and it stars a young Kate Winslet and an actress named Melanie Linsky, who has a little bit, I feel like has a little bit of a cult following or had a little bit of a cult following. She definitely does. And she always plays dykes, but I don't think she is one. Like she was in But I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, yeah. And she was also on a couple episodes of The L Word. I feel like that's like what her and um, Heather Maserato have in common. Or is Heather Maserato... She is gay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. 
Um, one, we have we won one out of two. <laughs> Natasha Leone. No, because <laughs> she's straight. No, that's one out of three. <laughs> um, so this movie stars two young girls who are obsessed with one another and refuse to be separated by their evil parents, and they will kill to stay together. Um, <laughs> Based on a true story. True story. I feel like if, especially as someone who's girl identified who like plays with both being a mommy and a girl in leather dyke community i feel like this one is really essential because it's like such a girl movie Mm. and the colors and the music are also just really great the soundtrack's awesome yeah the soundtrack is really good and yeah i have a note here let's talk about unhealthy female friendships and why they're kinky (laughs) Uh-huh, kinky. <laughs> so we've both said this before, but I, you know, struggle a lot in my personal life with finding a way to love people that isn't obsessive and unhealthy. And I feel like kink allows me to explore taboo dynamics in a safe space And Heavenly Creatures really speaks to that because the girls develop a fantasy world together that is their safe space. Totally. Yeah, I I first saw this movie with uh, another dyke that I was uh, in a weird obsessive relationship with as a teenager. So it is like not surprising that that happened or that we were both obsessed with that movie Mm. definitely Um, yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it's you know not to give too much away although I you know if you're this is a spoiler podcast yeah I'm like uh it's from 1994 so yeah no I spoil everything on this podcast (laughs) I mean nothing it does does not turn out well for them in real it did not turn out well for the girls that it is based off of they if i recall were put in prisons like separately from one another and like one of the um like defining things about their imprisonment was that they would be separated forever basically Mm -hmm. um i think maybe they've gotten out i would have to check on that but um, At least so, one of them has and has changed her name and is now an author. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I would have to look in on which one it is. Um, but, yeah, and there's also this movie that's dynamic in the movie where, like, they're both obsessed with each other, but Melanie Linsky is definitely more obsessed with Kate Winslet. Yeah. And that is, I think, something that a lot of queer women can relate to um right and then the class dynamic between that two like Kate Winslet is affluent and like has a lot more resources and like mobility than Melanie Linsky does and it's ultimately Melanie Linsky's mother that they end up killing so that that's like playing a role in that Mm, oh yeah absolutely and I mean that's just also a very common experience of 
uh, being a queer, young queer girl and just being a little bit more obsessed with your friend than she is with you. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think your point about this as being kind of a, a kink root in terms of a girl identity is really poignant because through age play in, in kink, we can explore all of those childhood traumas that in a really safe way with people that we trust and explore it. You should explore it with a therapist as well, but exploring it in this kind of like fun way that lets you live out a part of your life in, in some kind of innocence that maybe you weren't afforded when you were actually a child. Totally. So I wanted to talk about <laughs> this really stupid mini series from the 90s called House of Frankenstein. And I'm just going to play the ad for it for a second. Legendary evil has returned. House of Frankenstein 1997. Next on NBC. Welcome to Los Angeles, home to over 7 million people where everyone enjoys the sunshine and no one goes out at night alive and not alive human and inhuman it wasn't a man it was an animal what kind of animal it was a werewolf man's three most feared predators have returned vampires werewolves frankenstein loose in la legendary evil has found a new home their only natural predator is god in the city of angels i don't think he's human he's taking out my city to stop them You'll have to believe in them. Don't fight what you know, detective. Even if it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Sarah, have you ever heard of this? I have not. I don't I don't think. So it's from nineteen ninety-seven. It was a television miniseries on NBC that revived Universal's monster threesome of the vampire, Frankenstein's monster, and the werewolf. So I saw it on TV when it aired. I was way too young to watch it. The plot is that this detective named Vernon Coyle with the LAPD is trying to solve a series of bizarre murders. His girlfriend, Grace, turns into a werewolf and is kidnapped by Crispane Grimes, a vampire and owner of the nightclub called House of Frankenstein. (laughs) So... It is very silly. I haven't rewatched it in full since I was a child, but I was watching some clips today. And I mean, as a kid, like I loved anything monster related, like vampire, werewolf, Frankenstein monster, like that was my shit. So I was really into this when it was on TV. And there's a scene where Grace is trying to escape the clutches of the vampire, and he grabs her and pins her down on the bed, ties her up, and kind of just, like, smells her and menaces her. And I was extremely aroused when I saw this, and I think this stupid miniseries is, like, partly why I'm into consensual non-consent. Oh, totally. And... I mean, monsters, like monster sexuality is inherently queer because 
and, and again, I want to give a shout out to Tina's podcast, Tina Horn's podcast, uh, Why Are People Into That? Because she was recently talking about this. And monsters have no gender. So <laughs> it's, I mean, they have like avatar genders, like right. an appearance of being a man or a woman. But essentially, like, they're these immortal beings that really don't have a gender. And it that that is very... I think very compelling to queer children because you can sort of just uh, reflect your whatever sexuality you have on to this being. Uh, plus, the miniseries gave off serious knockoff erotic thriller vibes. So I was, of course, into that. But yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to that silly production for um, yeah making me uh, want to tie someone to the bed so I love, the I love it <laughs> yeah. um, oh my god I gotta find that scene cause like as a kid it was so erotic to me but like watching it now I'm like I can't believe this is what I've been fantasizing about for the last like 25 years <laughs> Whatever, it's a fantasy. It is. It is a fantasy. Whatever, it's a fantasy. I love that. (laughs) So the next film that I wanted to talk about, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Here occurred the frightening and shocking history of Prince Dracula. And the woman he loved. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Yeah. Dracul. There is a sinister, darker side to him. I find irresistible. I have never met any man with such a passion for life. He is unlike any man. What are you? Vampires do exist. This one we fight, this one we face. Can take on many forms. He is both young and old. He can appear as mist, as vapor, as the fog. And he can vanish at will. Power of his evil desire has no end. Okay. Oh, I love this movie so much. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Francis Ford Coppola, very strange movie from him. Um and your note here is Dracula's a femme. He really is in this movie. Like his red velvet robes and such. <laughs> oh, and I was I was talking about this this morning with my roommate actually, um, about that that thing that's present in a lot of Dracula lore that I just love. It's in Angel Heart too. Like that thing about having claws, how Dracula like frequently has like long nails. Mm-hmm. And- love that it's so good and the scene that always stuck out in particular for me is when keanu reeves gets ravaged by the vampire brides and 
it is just so sexy. And that is something that I always say is what draws me to the vampire figure is this idea of, and this is something that I think draws people to SM as well, this idea of somebody like making you feel pleasure. Right. I mean, it's so homosexual too. like the idea that Dracula is orchestrating the whole thing, like using these women, like he's the force driving these women to seduce Keanu. So ergo, he's seducing Keanu. Like, it's so good. Right. And then he gets mad at them and like tells them to disperse because like he's it's almost like he wants him for himself or something. Um. He That's very does. gay. He is. Yes. And yeah. so there's a lot of like gay shit going on in that scene. And there's also a lot of like domination and submission, like a bunch of three women like descending on this man and like f- feeding on him and forcing him to surrender and submit. And I think that's part of what draws people to the leather lifestyle is i mean it it doesn't always have to involve ds dynamics of course but that is what i think what draws a lot of people to ds is like this idea of you know giving up control and letting somebody else like force you to relax and feel pleasure and go through these really intense uh beautifully painful uh experiences with somebody that you're really attracted to right i mean both keanu and winona are playing characters that are supposed to be these like very chaste figures who are inexperienced and aren't and are being seduced in their own ways into essentially a kinky vampire lifestyle yeah absolutely they're so repressed by victorian english society and these vampires are forcing them to let go of all of those constructs and uh of course also a vampire bite is like inherently kinky because it's pleasurable but it's also really painful so of course that that will always be kink related so the Uh, next what did you want to say anything else about this oh my gosh i could go on and on about this movie i i mean i just the one thing i will say is just lucy's looks in the movie oh my god leather dyke essential looks yes oh my god she's her everything that she wears lucy is such a more dynamic and interesting character to me in this movie than mina uh i mean i'm always sort of more into lucy anytime i watch a dracula movie totally loose because lucy she's the slut (laughs) so she's inherently more interesting to me and fucking around before dracula yes and that's why she's so susceptible to dracula is because she's a harlot and (laughs) of course when bram stoker wrote this like he was being a misogynist but to us it's just badass (laughs) (laughs) like love it keep going keep going i support (laughs) you (laughs) 
Like, she's Polly. Like, she literally has three boyfriends. Uh-huh. Of different types or, like, different or like different styles of boyfriends. <laughs> I know. I love it. And they're all, like, devoted to her and obsessed with her. Even when she's decided to marry one of them, they still all oh. stick around. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're all in a relationship. Oh, my God. I love it. And there's also their one part where she's fucking Dracula in his, like, wolf form, which I love. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yes, so beautiful. It's so good. And she's just loving it. So the next movie I wanted to talk about is a movie called Strangeland from 1998. I'm just going to quickly play the trailer here. Here we go. In this small town. Check this guy out. On this quiet street. Now we can talk to him one-on-one. An unspeakable evil is stalking the net. What kind of name is Captain Howdy? He found a series of symmetrically placed puncture wounds. Choose torture. Welcome to my world, detective. Pain is a uniquely personal experience. Oh, God, please don't let this be happening. My badge is a forever. My badge represents the law. <laughs> I'll kill him. Trust me. That's better. There's nowhere to run. There's no place to hide. Find me. He's got this town wired. Gotta love this technology. Kevin Gage. Ready to come in? Elizabeth Pena. What have you done with my daughter? Robert Englund. Somebody's gotta take that boy out. Dee Snyder. So much flesh. So little time. The hunt has begun. Wanna play ball, scarecrow? Okay. Did you ever see this, Sarah? I am not sure. I feel like I have, but it's like deep in my recess memory. Yeah, so it's not good. <laughs> it's from 1998. It was it's written by and starring D. Snyder. <laughs> who is now a horrible trumper i'm pretty sure but that always happens that always happens but like are we surprised oh god him and milo can just hang out together yeah whatever like i'm not even surprised by that but i've always had a weird obsession with him my mom actually lived in the same building as him in the 80s. Oh, my God. Yes. And my mom is a twin, and her and her twin sister used to take the elevator down to the laundry room, and Dee Snyder would get in with the rest of Twisted Sister into the elevator, like maybe on their way to practice or something, and they would make fun of them and call them the laundry twins. Ew. What? I know. <laughs> Yes. And years later, actually, like a couple years ago, my cousin was working. I forget like what exactly she was working at, but she was working at some event and Dee Snyder was there and she asked him if he remembered the Laundry Twins. And he was like, of course, I remember the Laundry Twins. Oh, my God freak what a freak i know what a fucking freak (laughs) it's so insane i love this story so much but this is like part of why i've always been obsessed with d snyder but if you haven't seen strangeland i mean 
it's very campy, like very much a uh, net or chat room panic movie from the 90s. <laughs> um, it's about D. Snyder. He, he plays this uh, tatted pierced up kinky freak named Captain Howdy who lures teens from chat rooms to his house where he uh, tortures them to death. Shit, I do remember this movie now. Yes. (laughs) And the VHS cover was a girl with her mouth sewn shut. Yeah. Yep. And right. I always was drawn to it at Blockbuster. Like, that cover, there was something, like, strangely erotic to me about that, about this woman having her mouth sewn shut. And it's also, like, the depiction of SM is so fucked up, like, deeply problematic. Um, Like, he says... In the movie, like, oh, so little, so much flesh, so little time. Like, it's, it's so funny. It's literally like a horror movie and a Law & Order SVU episode. It, where, like, it's merged into exactly one. what it is, because the first half is like a horror movie, and the rest of it is like some weird procedural <laughs> where they're like trying to catch him. Yes, I remember now. Yes. And there's one point where he's like getting suspended. So this is, I think, the first movie we're talking about on this episode that actually has like literal BDSM in it, Mm -hmm. uh, not just subtext. But he's getting suspended, uh, like flesh suspended, and he falls, which is horrifying to anybody who actually does suspension. (laughs) (laughs) like he falls off the hooks and he's like really pissed off about it and he grabs like one of the guys in the room and he's like i want it to die (laughs) and i'm like i mean same (laughs) like just they sort of like maybe unintentionally captured like the death wish and suicidal ideation that a lot of kinky people have. Uh-huh. And oh, there's also a point where the town like comes together and kidnaps him and hangs him and they think he's dead, but then he like gets up like he, he they hang him and it, like he falls again falls to the ground and he get it's raining and pouring rain and he gets up and he's like oh what a rush <laughs> like oh my god well Snyder, a real serious player exactly i mean player. serious player he's a real sp <laughs> now I mean, now that I'm talking about it, like, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I have to rewatch it. I mean, as I recall, it's like, I mean, whatever. I don't know if you and I can be the litmus test for anyone. Like, <laughs> we love garbage. Yes. Watch, like, I, of course I would rewatch this because I watched total garbage. We like, need to rewatch this together. <laughs> I... It's complete garbage. I know. I always tell people when people ask me if I liked something, I'm like, don't ask me. Because <laughs> yeah, don't go with my review. Do not go with my review because I will like anything that is trash. And 
it's sometimes even hard for me to tell if something is actually trash or good because I like it so much. Same. I do, I do not have a, like, I have no compass for this stuff. You can't ask me. So, yeah, exactly. The next movie I wanted to talk about is was your choice, Ginger Snaps. So I'm just going to play the trailer. Up a not good movie. Another not good movie. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, we'll talk about it. Let me just play the trailer. So, uh, Fitz, I think we should get together. No. Out by 16 or dead in the scene, but together forever. United against life as we know it. Let's get out of here. What was it? Big dog, maybe? Whoa. Whoa? That's it? Whoa? Think you see werewolves a lot? Did I change last night? Howl at the moon? How do you feel? Wicked. This is a very confusing time for your sister. Boys, your body, trying to fit in. Hey, hey, take it easier. Who's the guy? <laughs> <laughs> If I wasn't here, would you eat her? Poor bee. I'm growing up, and obviously you're not. Ah! Oh my god. You think I want to go back to being nobody? Okay. So this movie's from 2000, and Sarah, this was your choice. Uh, Do you want to talk about it for a bit? Totally. Um, I mean, this would fall yet again under the inappropriately intimate female relationships category. And the same best friend that I had in high school who was obsessed with Heavenly Creatures was also obsessed with Ginger Snaps. Um, I don't recall liking this movie quite as much, but maybe I need to revisit it. It has a pretty big cult following, and there are two sequels that I think is hilarious they both came out the same year like this movie came out in 2000 and then two sequels came out in 2004 uh Ginger Snaps 2 Unleash and Ginger Snaps Back yes I've seen them all yeah (laughs) (laughs) of course you have Uh, So the characters, Bridget and Ginger, are teenage sisters who harbor a fascination with death, and as children, they form a pact to die together. Um, One of them turns into a werewolf, and there's, like, a lot lot about menstruation. That, That I really do love is, like, I mean, this one was Canadian, first off, um, so I feel like I don't know if you would agree with me on this, Annie, but like I did, I do remember at the time thinking like, oh, this movie takes more like, quote unquote, feminist risks than other films I was seeing because I was like, wow, they're like really talking about menstruation like a lot. Totally, like, I've never seen a movie do before. Yeah, I mean, 
they they explicitly use the werewolf as a metaphor for a woman getting her period and i i really liked this movie when i saw it and i actually quite liked the sequels even though people trash them all the time i think the third one in particular with which is like a period piece i think is really kind of cool and is any yes oh my god (laughs) i have to stop saying period piece it's a it's a historical drama i okay fun fact i once wrote a listicle for bust called 10 lesbian period pieces you need to watch and people in the comments were like really period piece oh no and i was like oh no don't read those comments. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't read the comments. But there's a scene in this movie where Ginger is puking up blood and she says, I get this ache and I thought it was for sex, but it's to tear everything to fucking pieces. And <laughs> such a good uh, quote. And that's always stayed with me. And I've even used it in some video art pieces before. And that goes back to what were you talking about of, well, first of all, like the death wish stuff, which seems to be a huge theme. Totally. And this not knowing if you want to fuck or tear everything apart. And chaos reigns. Chaos reigns. Oh, my God. By the way, I'm going to be doing an episode on Antichrist in December. So oh my god! Of everybody, course. watch out for that. Um, as part of my Christmas spooktacular. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, this film just really speaks to that, and I think has always. I don't know. I mean, this movie is like kind of trashy, but I also think it's really good. Like, it has some moments where it's lagging, but I. I really love the werewolf metaphor in this movie, and I really love the portrayal of unhealthy codependent sister relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got everything. It's got it all. (laughs) It's got everything we want, so it's got to be on there. So the last one I have that we're going to talk about is was another one of your picks, and that's the movie Martyrs. And I'm going to play the trailer for a second, but it's in French, so we'll only listen to a couple couple seconds. <laughs> totally. Dubbed. Weird. Weird. Don't like it. Don't like it. It's got to be in French. Okay. So, Sarah, Mm, tell us about Martyrs. The controversial Martyrs. (laughs) Um, I saw this movie when I was dating this dyke who was really into French and Italian horror. Um, that was like pretty much how we spent most of our dates. Um, Sounds hot. 
Yeah, it's super. That was super hot. Um, so it's a French language horror film that stars two women. It debuted at Cannes in two thousand eight. Um, the director was like previously obscure. His name is Pascal Logier. I'm probably saying that wrong. It might be um, Logier, but yeah, Logier. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So the in the film, the main character, Lucy, and her best friend, who is also her would-be lover, whose name is Anna, um, they track down the people who tortured her as a child. Um, this is one that I, like, I know that we, I know we're, like, spoiling away, but, like, you really don't, you don't get what the movie is actually about to, like, the last five to ten minutes of the movie, so I hesitate to, mm-hmm. like, really fully give it away um supposedly the two actresses had a real life love affair which obviously makes the film hotter and it does i think come through in the movie that they're fucking totally Um, yeah like you can tell um it has everything that a leather dick needs there's torture there's tortured lovers there's women in their underwear covered in blood there's revenge there's actresses fucking off screen and then i think like i mean i think the thing about this movie i am like super pro this movie but i feel like i call it controversial because like some people really hate the ending of the movie and think that it's stupid and Mm -hmm. i am always like i'm always like do am i like am i like a faux intellectual for thinking this movie is smart at the end like i don't know i think it's good i like the end i mean this movie, like, I, when I first tried to watch it when it came out, so it came out in 2008, so I was, like, 18, and when I first tried to watch it, I couldn't even get through it. I was, like, crying, because it's really intense. It's so violent. It's really violent, and I had to watch it again. Actually, all his movies really disturb me, but I had to watch it again later so it i wouldn't say it's a uh as much of a root for me just because i had to watch it more in adulthood when i could like really understand it um and yeah i mean it's like really like obviously this is not something you should watch if you can't watch torture because there's a lot of torture in this movie or abuse of children abuse of children like yeah it's really it hits all of the the buttons this is a tough movie but it's also uh really brilliant in a lot of ways his other movie that came out kind of recently incident in a ghost land is trash like i i mean i think i'm being really hard on it but i i really didn't like it i and i think the difference between that movie and this movie is like there's incident in a ghost land just feels like the movie is torturing two young women just for the sake of torturing them and martyrs it feels like there are there's there's things that are being said and uh, it's not for like no reason yeah i feel like that's such a crucial distinction that feels like such an important distinction to me because i cannot with movies where i'm watching them and i'm like this is just the director making me watch the torture of women for no fucking reason. It makes me like super irate and I like can't get through it. Like I end up turning shit like that off. Yeah, that's that's really hard. I mean, I actually, you know, torture scenes, 
it depends for me like what's happening but I sometimes even find that stuff really hard to watch surprisingly but and especially in something like this because it's like so visceral like there's nothing campy about it like it's just actually horrific it's one of those movie one of those horror movies one of the only ones that has actually scared me because usually I don't get scared by horror films but this one I mean why do you like what about this do you feel like is a kink root for you well, so, I mean, part of the, the reason why I hesitate to give the, the ending away is because you, the experience of film is that, is that you go through this movie thinking that there is maybe no purpose for why these children are being tortured, for why these, like, you're like, oh, cool, so this is a movie about child torturers, and we're not, it seems like there's, like, some system in order to the thing that they're doing, but it has, like, no no purpose or intent. And then, like, you can read the last bit of the film. I mean, the last bit of the film is definitely in trying to say something, some sort of has a feminist intention behind it. This, like, the conception is is there i think why people like either love it or hate it is because some people think that that's believable and other people think it's trash um and i think like for me as a leather dyke root like the connection between the actresses feels really important to me the fact that um there's just sort of like Anna, the best friend, is, like, trying to save her friend Lucy from herself, like, from all of this, like, torture that she's experienced, but not just the torture, like, the trauma, the PTSD. She's, like, trying to get her out of it um, unsuccessfully. And I think that there are just, like, really interesting questions there about being a dyke and, like, intense female relationships and, like, what the purpose of torture is and like you know i mean i think there are other movies on our list that we've gone through that are more explicitly kinky i feel like this one is probably less explicitly kinky and more like psychological but well yeah that idea i really like that thing you said about like the nature of torture and the reason for it and um I mean, I think those questions in and of themselves are something that we explore in leather community because, you know, I am obsessed with the abject. I talk about it a lot on the podcast and kink is something that to people who aren't into it is or I mean, even to all to all of us is something that is very abject because it goes against human nature in a way like the desire to avoid pain at all costs. I mean, like pain is literally exists to tell you that something's wrong. So the desire to avoid pain and anything that's upsetting or uncomfortable is like a very human thing. And in leather community, we do those things on purpose. So I think in that way, it's it's like looking, looking it in the face. And that's, that's very much abjection. Uh, so I think that I, I see where that film fits in for you as a kink root, because it's something that we are always kind of thinking about. In, in the community 
that's so yeah everything you said right it's this question like of course within leather community like why why do we bottom why do we submit to torture like is the purpose the pleasure of experiencing the pain do we do it for another person do we do it for our own healing is it cathartic um right this film definitely explores the question of like what is the purpose of torture it does it in a different way obviously than like consensual leather dyke scene do but it is there yeah absolutely and that question of like are you doing it like some people are just pain sluts and just love that feeling and do that just completely for that feeling and some people do it to please a top um and and that's where the pleasure comes from is like submitting to torture submitting to these really hard things to impress and please this person that you want to please so I mean, it's, I think those, yeah, those questions are like, is it the pain itself that we like? Is it the endorphin release after the pain? Um, And I think like for everybody, those questions, those things are, you know, have different answers. But yeah, I can, I can see those themes being explored in a very dark way in Martyrs. Um, And also like not to give it away, but just like the concept of, martyrdom christian martyrdom period is like very much a kink root for many people like martyr imagery and uh that's going to inherently be tied to that just by kind of conjuring those images that was our leather dyke spooktacular well our portion of it (laughs) and now uh I'm going to play you some voice messages from other leather dykes who have submitted their kink route. So that's going to be the next part of this episode. And thanks for recording this part with me, Sarah. My pleasure. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Hi, Annie. This is Christine. Um, I wanted to send you a note uh, for your podcast about my horror movie inspiration. So I grew up watching horror movies for uh, like as young as I can remember. Uh, my parents let me and my brothers watch pretty much anything and everything, um, but mostly the 80s Classics are what stick out in my mind, uh, like Nightmare on M Street, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, etc. Um, so I didn't really think about my childhood, like watching horror movies all the time, having anything to do with my kink life until the last year or so when I started to realize that these movies have a lot of great scene ideas. So... A lot of them are also like super sexualized and they involve sexual violence that's like clearly not great when you're like seeing it in a film. But then if you, you know, appropriate those into your sex life and make them consensual, they can be really great. Um, Like the entire first Friday the 13th when 
uh, a bunch of horny teenagers get murdered. <laughs> um, but my favorite and the ultimate murder daddy is Freddy Krueger. So the Nightmare on, on Elm Street movies are incredibly sexual. Freddy is like super into consensual non-consent and he makes tons of sexual jokes uh, like as he's trying to kill his victims. He's yeah, like daddy and then like with the dad jokes also. Um, the classic bathtub scene where the claw comes up from the water when Nancy falls asleep in the bathtub. Um, and then the second movie is super gay. Freddie is basically obsessively in love with the teenage boy, Jesse, whose body he wants to take over. And there's an entire like subplot of a gay leather gym teacher who gets whipped to death by Jesse, who has been possessed by Freddie. Um, so gay. Um, but anyway, I truly believe that Freddie's claws are a part of why I have a long fingernail fetish. And he always visits his victims while they're sleeping and makes them toss and turn. I don't know if it's just me, but I absolutely like read a ton of sexual tension in these movies. Um, so yeah, Freddy Krueger is my ultimate murder daddy, and I have learned a lot from him as a femme sadist top. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much yummier. Hey, Annie, this is Paige. This is kind of a weird pull because it's not really a horror movie, but the Tim Burton's Batman remakes came out when I was extremely young. And so the Batman Returns movie with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman is going to be my choice for this. She was, like, just so incredible. Like, the fact that she starts out the movie as this like really dowdy woman and like basically is being stepped on gets almost killed by a man and then in like a crazy anxiety moment like makes this intense latex catsuit for herself and looks friggin amazing and like takes on this whole new persona full of confidence and sexiness on top of all of her lines being just hilarious in camp was just totally it for me as a kid like I didn't understand really what was happening until much much later in life but I knew that I wasn't sure if I wanted to be her or something else which I now recognize as the classic femme lesbian experience of not knowing if you want to be somebody or fuck somebody um Michelle Pfeiffer is also just like incredible in the role and like come on that fucking outfit and the pink or that fucking outfit and the red lipstick and also her pink apartment like is the most femme like amazing thing with a million cats and she like has that like handwritten neon sign I don't know the aesthetic of all of it is just incredible and it was a big deal for me as a kid and still is I'm still wishing that I was her even now Love the podcast. Your little ads about the like sleazy 24 hour or like, I guess, midnight theater is 
one of my favorite things about the podcast, which I know is super weird, but like I love imagining being able to take my girlfriend and just be in a theater full of lesbian couples. It's amazing. You are incredible. I love all the work that you're doing. And yeah, I hope you have a great day. This one guy I ran with, he'd like me to dress up like a schoolgirl and take this friggin' bull whip. Okay, so I suppose my kink horror roots would probably be uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original film. Um, but more specifically, probably season two and season three, um, the Faith and Buffy dynamic, how they're always horny after slaying a bunch of vampires. I was, I was pretty into that. I was pretty ready for Faith to stake me. She still could stake me if she really wanted to. I cannot believe I forgot to even mention Queen of the Damned. Um, it had a really lasting impact on me as a eight-year-old when I watched it. Something about Akasha, I don't know, I just wanted her to bite me. I just wanted her to turn me. It was all very sensual for me. Hey there, my name's Katrina, and I'm a huge fan of everything that you do, and I really wanted to participate in this. So the first thing I thought of when you when I saw your post today was seeing, this is not exactly a horror movie, but seeing the video, the Nine Inch Nails video for Happiness in Slavery when I was 10 or 11 on 120 Minutes late at night. Uh, on MTV, and it featured um, the performance artist Robert Flanagan, Bob Flanagan, um, and it was it was the first uh, it was the first thing I ever saw about King, um, and I had already been having these thoughts and feelings and thinking that I was sort of crazy, wanting to be tied up and wanting to be beaten and etc. And I saw this wild video on top of feeling like the only queer girl and growing up in Texas, the only fat girl, the only fat queer girl, et cetera. Um, and Robert Flanagan was just like a really incredible sort of activist person that really spoke out about being kinky and what that meant and why people were drawn to that world. And it was really, really powerful for me to discover him and just see that like, there was someone living their best life in that world that was like in loving relationships. So I hope this fits into what you were looking for. Anyone who's not familiar with that video or with Robert Flanagan, I would highly recommend they look into him. Um, he was a really incredible, incredible man and really like used his kink to empower him as someone suffering with a chronic illness. Um, and I just got so much stability out of like seeing this grown person living their best life and also pursuing, you know, these proclivities, quote unquote, that I thought made me crazy. So that's all. Thanks for everything you do. Mwah. Girls, watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. 
Hi there, Sue here. Uh, when I think of my horror kink root, I think of The Craft. It's got everything. Sapphic coven content, which I love, violence, blood, and plenty of bondage. It was instrumental in so many of my dark and creepy kinks. Happy spooky season, y'all. And thank you, Annie. Have you said your goodbyes to the light? I think I'd have to go with Interview with a Vampire for my introduction to Kate Kim Horror. Um, there's so much that's happening in this film, and I saw it at such a young age, probably too young, but it really, really left an impression on me, and uh, I had a lot of things that resonated for me with that film. Um, the tension, which was almost like a polyamorous, like, ruffle kind of tension, between Louis and Lestat and, and Claudia and Louis, I mean, I feel like once you're a vampire, you're not really um, necessarily a man or a woman or a gay or straight or anything or everything. And I mean, eternal life is means that there are limitless options. So even that was impressed upon me through this film. There was one scene in particular where Louis' character is biting the breast of, I believe, a sex worker, and it is extremely, extremely erotic, and, and is um, playing with very risky, risky uh, play. And you could tell that, I believe the character as a sex worker is actually into it, into the bite on her breast until she realizes the horror of what is actually happening that she's being drained and that her, <clears throat> her life is at risk and that is a very fine line to walk but I just remember being extremely young seeing this and being so so um, turned on and so uh, thrilled and mortified at the same time and I feel like that's but not wanting it to stop either. And I feel like that is a really big part of kink. And sometimes a part of horror, with horror movies at least. Um, also, I feel like there's an interesting dynamic where Claudia's character is like perpetually the baby. And I feel like in day and age when everyone is saying, I'm baby, I feel like Claudia is one of those where she's like, I always want to be baby and like have my way. And reflecting on it these are things that are definitely big themes in the movie that i can see and still just like i said left such an impression on me um as a young young kid seeing it i'm, I'm forever grateful come to me Arthur. leave these others and come to me my arms are hungry for you my darling kiss me and caress me my darling husband, please. Hi, Annie. My name is Samantha Von Glitz. My Instagram handle is Aphrodike. It's A-P-H-R-O-D-Y-K-E-Y-Y. Very excited about this topic. I can't wait to listen to the episode and get to hear everyone else's stories and movies and what inspired them. Um, for me, one of my earliest memories of noticing kink and knowing that it excited me was watching Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, the movie came out in 92. I was only four then, so of course I didn't watch it. I, I didn't see it until I was around 11 or 12. 
Um, but I remember first being wildly attracted to Winona Ryder because she's Winona Ryder. Beautiful. And then came the introduction of the brides. I'd never seen anything that I thought was as beautiful as the three women that were on the screen in front of me. The headdresses, the snakes in the hair, all the garish silk that surrounded everything, the sexuality that just absolutely flowed off of all three of them. They all looked very powerful and something about that clicked within me and I was like, hey, wow, these powerful women look like they could, you know, do something. <laughs> and I was just immediately intrigued. So the whole scene resumes and they're, you know, hypnotizing him and trying to seduce him. And it was, that was enough to be interesting for me. And then the vampire bites started and blood started to show up and that image awoke something entirely new in me that I never knew I would be interested in, that I would even think would be something sexual or something attractive. But it absolutely, as much as my 12-year-old self could be <laughs> interested in it, I, I was fully turned on and immersed into this scene and thought, I, I want that. I want that. I wanted to be Keanu Reeves in that moment. The thought of these powerful women completely taking me over, hurting me, drinking my blood, all of it. Just, I knew that I wanted that to happen. I'm 31 now and I still want it to happen. <laughs> so I would probably say that that movie, that scene in particular started my vampire blood kink and I love it to this day thanks again for doing this I, I'm really just excited to hear everybody's stories watching her strolling in the night so white wondering why it's only after So my kinky horror route uh, is definitely vampire related. Um, it took me a while, a little while to narrow it down, but because uh, vampire is just like hot and scary all the time, but I decided on uh, From Dust Till Dawn. This one scene in particular has been burned into my head, like, since I was a kid and I watched this movie over and over and over. Selma Hayek is uh, a vampire, but she comes out looking like a regular human, a super hot regular human, who in a burlesque costume with a snake wrapped around her dances across these the tables in the bar to this group of guys who are like hiding from the cops 
and she gets to the end of the table and this one dude is just staring up at her mouth agape and she takes her beer takes his beer from him shoves her foot in his mouth and then pours her his beer down her leg from her knee into his mouth and it just like gushes out and he's choking and staring up at her I've like always loved that. So my girlfriend a couple years ago incorporated into a scene um, this, an inspiration from the movie. Uh, so I was a naughty Catholic schoolgirl who was in trouble for stealing the church wine. And uh, she was the nun punishing me. I was beaten and interviewed and made to beg for mercy on my knees in front of her and she so then she shoved her foot in my mouth and poured the wine down her leg and it like fulfilled all my fantasies of Femme worship and submission and sucking on the toes of a mean, scary femme who could totally hurt me and destroy me. Yeah. Why are you doing this to us? Because you were home. Hi, my name is Sloan Holzer. I'm a freelance writer and a leather dyke, and I live in the East Bay in California. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the 2008 American slasher film, uh, The Strangers, written and directed by Brian Bertino, um, and bringing up some ideas in Amber Hollybaugh's My Dangerous Desires, um, as well as my own personal experiences. Um, so I have seen The Strangers three times. Um, the first time I ever saw it, I was over at my then-girlfriend's house um, in middle school, and her parents were out of town for the night, so we were very predictably making out. And we put on the movie as background noise. And The Strangers um, is ostensibly based on some moments in Brian Bertino's own childhood of growing up in deeply rural East Texas. Um, and so the movie takes place in this semi-rural kind of suburban neighborhood. And the place that I grew up in Northern California is also a kind of semi-rural suburban neighborhood. And so to actually watch it in an area um, that was very much similar to the place that the movie was taking place in, not only kind of wetted it into my psyche in that way, um, but also the very kind of like senseless violence of masked strangers showing up at your door um, without kind of reason or cause um, and terrorizing you was also something that I think um, both scared me and that the other activities that I was doing that evening, you know, um, I was very into um, in a kind of like sexual and erotic capacity. And so I think those two kind of like twin desires um, were very much fused together. Um, the second time I watched The Strangers was with a group of friends in high school um, that was at a friend's house that lived out even further into the woods. Um, I think they lived on about four or five acres. And so you really couldn't see the next house over. And towards the end of the movie, a friend and I thought it would be really funny if we actually 
um, pretended to go to the bathroom, left the house, and came back around outside to the front of the house. And then at the end of the movie, where we could hear the credits rolling, um, we would bang really loudly on the door, um, like the actual masked strangers do um, in the very beginning of the movie. And this very predictably caused all of our friends to scream and terror and freak out, um, and then very very slowly opened the door only to find that it was us. Um, and I think that not only was there kind of a funny moment of, you know, um, us using the same kind of power of the stranger's senseless violence to terrify our friends um, as something to kind of very casually do between people, but that there was, you know, there was a kind of power in um, making other people terrified um, in a kind of like controlled and contained space. I think that Amber Hollybaugh um, is a very, very brilliant femme writer, um, often an underrated femme writer who does not kind of get mentioned in the same breath as uh, Joan Nestle and other kind of femme writers of her generation. But she has written very extensively about kind of the power of desire and of desires that are considered dangerous. Towards the beginning of the book, after she's done uh, describing uh, moments of kind of intense sexual terror in her childhood, she says that, um, so it is no wonder to me that I crave both safety and peril in equal amounts, and that these two qualities are wedded in my psyche, like twin sides of the same desire. That is desire for me. I know that all women try to construct a shell of safety for their desires, um, but that for her, this idea of desire um, is composed of both safety and danger as, you know, things that have an interplay with one another. Later in the book, I'm in mean, one of the most famous pieces that Amber has written. She's in conversation with Sherry Moraga, um, where Sherry talks about the sexual fantasy of taking a woman, of capturing a woman um, in a very right sexualized kind of way of kidnapping somebody. Um, Amber continues, but it's not wrong in and of itself to have a capture fantasy. The real question is, does it actually limit you? For instance, does it allow you to erotic someone else but never see yourself as erotic? Does it keep you always in control? Does the fantasy force you into a dimension of sexuality that feels very narrow to you? If it causes you to look at your lover in only one light, then you may want to check it out. But if you can't even dream about wanting a woman in this way in the first place, then you can't figure out what is narrow and heterosexist in it and what's just play. Um, she goes on to speak about how capture, um, right, in a very kind of critical way is often, right, brings up all of these ideas around colonialism, around pillaging, around very intense descriptions of violence, um, and to speak of the ways that capture is often kind of flattened into one experience, into one description of um, a very kind of uh, white supremacist patriarchal system of violence. Um, but to speak about capture as something that you would like to do with a lover in a very kind of like playful capacity, I think kind of opens it up into other realms of possibility. The last thing that I'll read from Amber um, is this portion towards the end of the book um, where she's speaking um, at the Barnard Conference, the kind of infamous Barnard Conference that happened in the early 80s um, about kind of erotic power and dangerous desire. Um, it is the undertow of desire between my lover and myself that propels me through all the good reasons I can invent to stop myself from wanting sex. It is erotic tension that ignites the wildness of my imagination and the daring to figure out how to make my desires feel against the skin as I imagined them beforehand. With these, I let go finally to another woman's direction and sexual need for me and find ways to crack through my lover's defenses and push her further. I want to be unafraid of the, to be the erotic person I created in my own fantasies as a 12-year-old girl. 
Sometimes I want to play, resist, fight against another woman sexually. Sometimes I want to surrender. I can't imagine sex without this. In the end, I don't want to do away with power in sex, like a part of the feminist movement. I want to redistribute that power and knowledge so I can use it and use it better for myself and my partner. I think this is so much of what kidnapping fantasies speak to, is the redistribution and reutilization of power for both ourselves, our partners, and our communities. Uh, hi, my name is Gabriella. I'm a queer woman, obviously, and I want, I've been thinking about this, this uh, prompt for days, so I finally, I really wanted to submit a response, so here I am doing it. And I want to talk about, not really so much as a horror movie, but a fan video based on a horror movie that I saw at a the young, impressionable age of 13 and just set me off unknowingly because I did not really realize how big this video meant to me till much later. So basically after getting kicked off fan pop and searching for more hardcore vampire scenes, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of just like any fan-made videos I could find, any scenes from any weird vampire movies that I could watch because I was just, I was fascinated by them. I was fascinated by movies and I was fascinated by monsters, particularly vampires because I found the danger and the sexuality and the beauty so intoxicating and so dangerous, but also so fascinating to me. So I found this one video that was not based on a Dracula movie or an Anne Rice. So I was very curious about it because it was so fucking pretty. And it had such good editing, which is also really rare to find. It has this, it had a really good balance of um, long minor notes at the beginning to create like an, an era of menace and then like soft whispers and then a killer song um, by the band Pucifer. Um, Reverend 2220, which I hope some folks know because it's very good. Very good, very sexy, kind of metal in a great way. And it, it was this amazing video of two, of a vampire and a human fighting for their lives, for whatever. It was very ambiguous, like physically trying to run and escape and fight each other. And it ends with basically the vampires, handmaidens, or friends, or lovers coming together to turn this girl. Um, and basically what is a big lesbian blood orgy. And it was just, it was just, it just really awakened something in me. Like, I wish there was a better um, word for it, but it was, it was fucking enticing, the idea of, of, wrestling and being dominated or dominating another woman and then torturing and teasing that becomes pleasure which I think is the crux and the entire like the song opens with don't be aroused by my confession unless you don't give a goddamn about redemption and as a kid who really hated catholic school that was my jam and I, I just I really appreciated I guess being able to say fuck religion and this idea of blasphemy and be blasphemous or exist beyond it and beyond that lay pleasure, pleasure that could be found immortally and beautifully in vampires. And also the biting was really hot. 
<laughs> which is definitely a thing. Um, and I've, I've always been very squeamish with gore, and this video kind of made me squeamish because there's some clips of um, the vampire ladies biting flesh, like the human woman's flesh, like very close up, very bloody, but it's also very sensual <laughs> because they're, they, their mouths are red, the skin is red, and they're like licking it like you would like like someone's body. Um, just very teasing with their tongue and like teasing nips that look really painful, but also really hot. And I didn't realize then but it really affected like what I would find sexy and attractive later in life. In terms of kink, I mean, like, what do you want? What, like, it has so much. <laughs> like, the dominating aspect of it is just really sexy. And like, I feel like once the song hits, it's all about submission. And I think you could argue that it's hypnosis, but I really think it's just like being the human woman, like, choosing to go into the dark, into the the gayness with the vampires um because every movie is the opposite of that it's 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 either you're either submitting to the evil and then you die or you're refusing the evil and you live but you live heterosexually um so this video was a hundred percent the opposite it was it was like you can have all of this and enjoy all of this pleasure and become a vampire and live forever there's no catch here don't worry about a catch.